0: Good morning again, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4 will be our text this morning. About a month or so ago, uh, we came home with a little puzzle, probably a 30, 40 piece puzzle, and the kids were very excited about wanting to do it. It was a Star Wars puzzle, so I was very proud of my kids for having good taste, Okay, so they wanna put this Star Wars puzzle together and get the picture of the, the two droids was the puzzle and they were very excited to do it. And so I open the puzzle and start pouring pieces out and before I can get all of the pieces out, they start grabbing pieces and trying to put them together. And I had to explain to them that unless you get all of the pieces on the table, you're never gonna get the puzzle put together. Okay, you might get a few pieces put together, you might get something of a picture, but the only way to get the full picture as if you can slow down for just a second which is not my children's strong suit okay but slow down for just a second get all the pieces out on the table and then we can make the puzzle and we can get the picture all right i tell you that story because i think in romans paul is laying out a fairly complicated set of ideas Okay, there's a reason that I didn't preach Romans in my 20s, all right? I think Romans, there's a lot of material here. There's a lot of ideas that Paul is laying out. And I think the only way we will get the full picture of what Paul is doing is if we get all of the pieces on the table, and then we can finally see the big picture. All right, so here's the pieces that we've laid out so far in this series. The first one is this. is apart from God, things get ugly very quickly, Okay, you don't have to look very far in your world to see this is true. You don't have to watch a whole lot of newscasts to tell that this is absolutely right. When people don't live according to God's will, it gets ugly and it gets there really fast. All right, second thing. Israel, because of the covenant, was supposed to be the rescue operation for the world. But they themselves needed rescuing. Okay. Again, what do you do when your tow truck breaks down? Okay? That's the situation the world is in. God has this plan to redeem all of the world, makes his covenant with Abraham and his descendants. They're supposed to be the light to the world, and yet instead they themselves needed rescuing. So number three, third piece, Jesus. Okay, uh, We'll explain more about this as we get further into the book of Romans, but basically Paul's point is that Jesus is Israel. Jesus is the Israel that Israel herself could not be. He was the one who actually could fulfill this covenant that God made so long ago. So, number four, and this is where we ended last time. I know that was a couple weeks ago. Okay, but the big question then is, has God been righteous? And Paul resoundingly declares, yes. God was righteous to his children, Israel, who he loved. He was righteous to all of us. God has done what he promised to do in the covenant. Okay, now we get to Romans chapter four. Okay, and I've heard it preached and taught before that what's really going on in Romans chapter four is that now Paul gives us a sermon illustration, okay? And it's about Abraham, okay? You know, often in sermons, preachers like to tell a story to illustrate a point. My favorite stories always are about my kids because they just provide lots of material, right? I have no idea how I'm going to preach after they grow older, Right? Okay, and I like to tell things about funny things they did. Sometimes stories are supposed to clarify. Sometimes I use stories just to relieve the tension. Okay, sometimes I frankly tell stories just to try to get your attention, all right? And what I've heard before is that Romans 4 is basically Paul taking a story out of the Old Testament. This story is about Abraham, and he's using that as a sermon illustration. He's using that as an example to make his point, to show us what he's already said up to this point. Okay, and I think that that is a fine explanation for what's going on in Romans 4, except for the fact that it's totally wrong and borders on heresy. Other than that, I think that's fine. I think instead of being an illustration, when Paul goes into this long discourse in Romans 4 about Abraham, I think this is the next major piece of Paul's argument, and we can miss it if we're not careful. I think this chapter is so much more than just a story or an illustration, and I know that this is a rather lengthy chapter. We're going to read a lot of Scripture in this sermon this morning, and this is somewhat convoluted. Okay, But I don't think you can break up Romans 4 without losing track of Paul's bigger argument. Okay, So notice Romans 4 starting in verse 1. He says, What then shall we say? That Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right, now at this point, I want you to remember we defined righteousness a few weeks ago. Okay, righteousness is a legal term. Okay, it's a term you would hear in a court of law where the judge would declare you are in the right. Okay. This doesn't mean that Abraham believed in Jesus. It doesn't mean that Abraham believes in going to heaven when he dies. It means that Abraham believed what God told him back in Genesis 15 when God said, Abraham, I know that you're really old, but you will have a son. Abraham believed it. God says, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for. And he credited that to him as righteousness. We'll talk in a little while later about what it means for us to have faith like that. Notice verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. All right, Paul says being righteous, okay, being in that right relationship with God doesn't come by working for it. Okay, you can't earn God's grace by working hard enough, you can't do enough good deeds, you can't feed enough hungry people, help enough ladies across the street, you can't work for it. It comes as a blessing from God. Okay, and just like with faith, we'll talk more later about what grace means. All right, but I think all of this is leading us to verse 9. I think if there's one verse, one even just part of the verse, and the whole of this chapter that is Paul's main point, we get to it in verse 9. Notice verse 9. It says, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Okay. Here's the big question. Here's what I think Romans 4 is all about. If you only catch one thing from me this morning, catch this. The big question of Romans chapter 4 is who is the family of God? Okay? I didn't leave a space for you to write that down on the sermon notes, but find a place on your bulletin and write that down. Who is the family of of God. Who are the heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham in this all-important covenant back in Genesis 15? Okay, and I won't go through all that again. We did it several weeks ago, but do not forget how important, how central the covenant of God is. Your entire Bible is about the covenant, and in, Genesis, in, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is asking, who is it that gets to be a part of this covenant? Okay, if you remember also a few weeks ago, I said one of the big mistakes that we make when we read Romans is that we think it's about individuals and really it's about communities. Okay, over and over again in your New Testament, you read the word you. Okay, I think we really need an Oklahoman to come back in and write all those as y'all. Okay. It's not you individual, it's you plural. These promises are for y'all, Okay. Paul doesn't write to a bunch of individual people. He writes to communities. Who is it that gets to be the community of God? Who is the family of God? So if I want to get in on the blessedness of God, if I want to be a part of God's family, the big question is, do I have to become a Jew and keep the law, or do I get to be part of God's covenant people as a Gentile? If I can't trace my lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can I still be a part of this family of God? Who is this promise of blessedness really for? Okay, that's the question of Romans 4. All right, notice the second part of verse 9. It says, We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who who not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of that faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I told you this was convoluted, right? It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. I guarantee you if Paul had a highlighter when he was writing this, he would have highlighted that last phrase. He is the father of us all. As it is written... I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. Okay, a conversation about circumcision and uncircumcision to us sounds really weird. Okay, to us reading this so long later, this sounds completely irrelevant to my life. I wonder why in the world does Paul bring that up here in Romans chapter 4? Okay, but if the big question of the chapter is, who are the descendants of Abraham? Who is it that gets to be part of the covenant of God? And if circumcision is what marked Abraham as a Jew, then if Paul can show that Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised... Well, then that means something, right? It means that anybody who believes in God like Abraham did gets to be part of the family of God. Okay, that's, that's the argument. Does that make sense? Kind of, sort of, maybe? All right, Paul claims that God never intended his covenant to be only with the Jews. It was always supposed to be for all of us. And the true mark of being in the family of God is not circumcision. In fact, it was never circumcision. He says it was always faith. Verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness." The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. God has created a salvation people. A people of Jesus, a people who will have all our sins forgiven, who will one day be raised to life and declared righteous. God made a covenant with Abraham, and everyone who gets to be a part of that covenant relationship with God gets to be a part of this Jesus people. The good news for most of us is that you don't have to be a Jew to be a part of this people. What you do have to have is faith. You have to believe that God has the power to fulfill the promises that he made so long ago. Okay, so Romans 4 is not just an illustration. Romans 4 is about how you and I get to be a part of the covenant. Okay, the question here is not, how does a person get justified? Okay, as if Paul is explaining how to be a Christian. That's not Romans 4. Okay, the question is, who is the family of Abraham? And his answer is, it's the people who are marked by faith. Okay, you don't have to make this more complicated than it is, right? You really want to be a part of God's people? What kind of faith do you have? You really want to be a part of the covenant? You really want to be heir of all those promises that God made? Do you really believe in the God who made them? Do we have faith? All right, three questions I want to ask by this. This is the three blanks I left you in your bulletin because I do think this is extremely relevant to us and who we are and where we are as a people today. Okay, one of the reasons I think that Romans chapter four is so essential to who we are as God's people today in Gwinnett County, America in the 21st century is this very first question. Okay, I think the big question that Romans 4 answers for us is, who are your people? Okay? Who are your people? You know, While I was away, uh, there was a vote on the other side of the world where the British people decided that their primary allegiance would be not to Europe, but to Britain, right? They're struggling with defining who are we as a people, and they're making choices that have consequences. All right, and throughout your life, you will have a lot of communities that want your allegiance. They want you to say, hey, that's my people. Okay, political parties want your allegiance. Right, They want you to say, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican. They want you to be part of their people. Okay, ethnic groups want you to have your primary identity as that's my people. Sports teams want you to have allegiance, Right. Man, I am one of God's boomer sooners, right? Even states. Okay, I was recently in Texas where their primary confused identity is, well, we're Texas, all right? You know, a few years ago, I went to an Oklahoma and Texas football game, uh, the Red River rivalry. Uh, unfortunately, the Righteous team lost. But before the game was played... Before the game was played, the announcer got on and he said, all right, everybody, let's all stand up. And everyone stood up and he says, as we sing the eyes of Texas, okay, and half the stadium in, in the Lord's Crimson and Cream, we all booed and immediately sat down. Okay, in that moment, who were my people? Okay, the Lord's people, the Crimson and Cream, right? Okay, and those people were cheering the wrong way. Right? But we have allegiances. Okay? And I guarantee you, I was high-fiving everyone I could see that was wearing crimson and cream, and at the end of the game, we were all crying together. right? Because those were my people. Okay? Who are your people? Who do you belong to? Paul says, our people are people of faith. Ultimately, you have more in common with the Christian who's worshiping this morning in China in a little house church, who doesn't speak a word of English, doesn't look anything like you, has nothing to do with the culture that you are a part of. That is your brother or sister in Jesus Christ. You have more in common with that person than you do the person who lives in the house next to you, who looks like you, talks like you, votes like you, thinks like you, roots for the same football teams that you do. Your brother is the person of faith. That is who your people are. We get into all kinds of trouble when we mess that up. Your allegiance, your primary allegiance, has to be to your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ all over this world. I think we have lots of allegiances, um, and to a certain extent, that's okay. All right, here's my list, right? And this is, I didn't put a whole lot of thought into this, but I did put a little thought into this. Okay. but I think my first allegiance is to people of faith. I think my second allegiance is to my wife and children. I think my third allegiance is to my extended family, okay? All those people in Oklahoma that I'm still blood-related to. Okay, number four, I think my next allegiance is to people who live in my community. Okay, I care about Gwinnett County people, right? Number 5 I think is people who live in my country, okay? I'm an American, right? I have an allegiance to the United States of America. Okay, number 6 I think my allegiance is to the rest of humanity. All right, but the distance between that number 1 and number 2 defines who I am, right? Where is my true allegiance? And I think scripture calls us to say your allegiance to the people of faith is even stronger than the relationship you have with the people that you're blood related to. And if we don't start with that understanding, then what it means for us to be a church gets all out of whack really quickly. Does that make sense? All right, second question of Romans 4 is what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have faith? Um, we now, uh, since we have a house, are part of a swim tennis community, which the tennis thing is largely irrelevant for my life. But the fact that we have a, a swimming pool in my neighborhood matters a whole lot to my children. They're okay? so excited that they get to go to the pool. Right? And when we go to the pool, my two children are very, very different people. Okay, before I can even get in the water, Sam is like, let me jump in. Okay, and he's running full bore to just jump into the deep end. He wants to go swimming. All right, and so we play a game a lot where I get in the water and Sam's out of the water and he'll just jump into my arms over and over and over again. He doesn't mind. He has no fear about that swimming pool, okay? Luke, on the other hand, has lots of fear, all right? Luke, he'll put his feet in the water and he'll stand in. He gets about ankle deep and then he goes, that's far enough, all right? We finally got him to where he's getting down to about the third step, where the water comes up, you know, just past his waist. And he's, he's cool right there, but he's not getting in any deeper. Okay, so I put him on the edge of the pool, and I get in the pool, and I say, okay, son, jump to me. And he looks at me like I just grew a third head. Okay? it's Like, negative. Not going to happen. All right? Now, I know that he believes I can pick him up because I do that all the time. I know that he believes that I love him dearly. Um, I know that he believes in me, but he doesn't fully trust that I'm going to keep him safe if he jumps into that pool, right? He's scared. I think when Abraham believed God, he was saying, you know what, I don't see how this is all going to work out. I don't know how this plan is going to unfold. I don't know how I'm going to have a kid in my old age of 100 but I'm going to jump in. Lord, I believe you can do it. When Abraham believed God, it's not that he believed his sins were forgiven and therefore he could go to heaven when he died. Okay, we make faith into this big thing that encompasses all of these things. That's not what Abraham believed. Abraham didn't have a Bible like we do. He probably didn't even have concepts in his head of things like heaven and hell. Okay, when he believed God, God, he believed that the God that made this covenant with him could do what he had promised he could do. He believed that God was powerful enough to make a new people through him, and he believed that God was going to take care of him even though he couldn't see how. He just believed God. Big question for us as we read Romans 4 is, do we really believe God? Are we really a part of this people of faith? Do we believe that God can save us like he's promised to do, that he's really going to take care of us? Are we really willing to step out in faith? All right, third question of the text is what does it mean to receive grace? Okay, Because the, the text makes the point in the scripture we, reading, we read earlier makes the point that God didn't choose Abraham because he was the best person on earth. He didn't choose the Jewish people because they were the best people on earth. He chose them out of grace, It wasn't that they deserved it. It was just because God loved them enough to give it to them. All right, we're going to talk a lot more about grace as we press on into Romans because this idea will come back and it will come back in a big way. Uh, But I want to close with a a story. Um, A few, well, several days ago now, um, after the shooting in the nightclub, I was reading some news on my phone and I was talking to Rachel about it and I said, this is really interesting. Turns out there is a gay activist in Orlando who's planning on voting for Donald Trump. Never thought I'd read that headline. Okay, at which point, my seven-year-old son says, Daddy, what's a gay activist? At which point I said, now on your cartoon, is that, is that Zuma who's sliding down the slide right now? I said, yeah, that is, and he proceeded to tell me about Paw Patrol on TV, and I completely dodged the question, because I wasn't willing to go there. Okay, a big part of the reason I wasn't willing to go there is because I have no idea how to explain to my seven-year-old what a gay activist is in Orlando responding to a shooting by a terrorist proclaiming allegiance to a foreign god. Okay, I can't make any sense of any of that. Okay. Now, The reason i tell you that story is because there's a lot of stuff in this world that i can't make any sense out of and there's a lot of things that i'll ask my father in heaven and he says you know what i can make sense of this but i can't explain it to you and i don't have to explain it to you okay we serve a god who can make sense of all the chaos in the world we serve a god who does have all of this in the palm of his hand we serve a god who is going to make all things ultimately right And what it means for me to be a Christian, what it means for me to be part of this family of God is I just have to believe that he can make sense of all that.